Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. If 15 minutes of Parsha a week is not enough for you, if you're jonesing for more Parsha, then you, you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one-hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free, and we'd love to have you. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. How you doing? Uh, nice to see everybody. And um, I, uh, I'm, I'm excited today to head uh, with you into the to the Jacob story. And um, Jacob, uh, Jacob is is th this week's parsha, parsha vayetsay really begins the Jacob story. I mean, we began it last week because we met Jacob and and we, you know, Jacob in, in, in some ways was already the major, major player in last week's Parsha, the one who uh, dis, uh, manipulated his brother into the sale of, of, of his older brother's birthright and then actually deceived his father into, um, into getting his older brother's blessing and of course, that's the that's the big work of last week's Parsha is to figure out, you know, are those two things related? What's going on? But 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 whatever conclusion we come to, Jacob is at the center of it and is scheming, scheming, scheming. But um, but last week, uh, if Jacob emerges as a as a schemer, um, it's still taking place in the context of a of a of a family dynamic, and there are uh, lots of uh, um, play, key, key players and uh, lots of um, lots of uh, active um, uh, participants and manipulators of the family dynamic. Rebecca plays a powerful role. Isaac is somewhat passive, but Esau also is trying and 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 hunting and fighting. And every everybody in that family is 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 active and and significant. In last week's parsha, this week's parsha really feels like it's Jacob's story. Um, we follow Jacob from his home, fleeing his home, because after all, his brother now wants to kill him. And um, he, he leaves and he heads towards his, his, his uncle's home at the behest of his mother, Rebecca, because that's where she comes from. And just like Abraham didn't want Isaac to marry uh, a local girl, a Canaanite woman. So Rebecca seems also not to not to want that. And there's a kind of um, an echo of the 
of the earlier journey back to Abraham's homeland, right? Because uh, remember, after all, um, Rebecca and Levan are the daughters of uh, Nahor, who was Abraham's brother. So it's somehow like Abraham had to leave, and yet every time they, every time they want um, to start dating, they have to go back. And somehow um, uh, these these men who are inheriting the covenant uh, can't just marry anyone. They have to go back to the source to find worthy um, partners in the covenant. Okay, so so Jacob heads out, and then we are with Jacob for um, for a couple of decades as he is working on uh, his uncle's farm, let's call it, and um, although it's not really a farm, they're 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 shepherds, they're they have flocks, and um, and we'll we'll see that is one of the central images in in this week's parsha parsha is the the flocks of the herds, but um, but we're there with him for um, seven years and then another seven years and then more time as he works for his uncle, stays with his uncle, and significantly, and this becomes the, the major drama of the Parsha, starts marrying everyone around him, marries both the his of his uncle's daughters, we'll see that today, and marries their um, their uh, ha handmaidens, right, that, that, that word now has a cultural uh, echo, handmaids, um, and so is married to four women, and it's just chaos, and, um, and there's a lot, you know, a lot, a lot going on in this week's Parsha, and, um, and a lot to track in Jacob's life, uh, but today, I want to talk uh, especially about Jacob's great love, and, and, and really the moment when Jacob seems to fall in love with Rachel, okay? And um, and we're going to take a look at it. We'll get into, uh, we'll do a careful reading of that moment because it's a strange moment. And that, I guess, is what I wanted to say here at the outset, um, speaking of strange moments, um, which is that Jacob is always a difficult, complicated figure to deal with when we start reading through the Torah again. Um, we have these... Um, all of our our great ancestors were com complicated people. These stories are are complicated stories, and there are always complicated family dynamics. Um, but they are also mostly sympathetic characters. You kind of you kind of admire Abraham. You kind of admire Sarah. Um, Isaac is a tragic. But but beloved figure, Rebecca is powerful and impressive. And then Jacob comes along, and I think I think we we struggle with Jacob, and I think we're meant to struggle with Jacob, just like Jacob does a lot of struggling with everything around him. So we also struggle with Jacob, who is on the one hand, the ultimate patriarch. He is the one we take our name from. We are called Israel because Jacob gets the name Israel. So we are Jacob. We are the descendants of Jacob. We are the children of Israel. That's that's what we are. And on the uh, so Jacob, in in some ways, is the greatest, the most significant of um, of the patriarchs. And then on the other hand, Jacob is maybe the hardest to love because he's a 
he, as we've already said, he begins scheming and tricking in ways that seem un unsavory, maybe even unethical. And throughout this Parsha, he keeps scheming and pushing and taking and asserting. And even when he talks to God, he's making deals and, and arrangements with God and God, you have to do this for me or, so, or I won't do this for you. There's something very, um, there's something very um, agitated about Jacob. He's He's fiery and full of energy. And it's a kind of, his name, Jacob means like the grabber, the heel grabber, right? He was grabbing his uncle, his his brother's heel when he came out. And that's who Jacob, it's a good name for him. That's who he is for the rest. He's always grabbing at things and taking things and struggling for things and fighting for things. There's a kind of constant um, antagonism uh, going on with Jacob and everything around him. Okay, and that is the complicated figure of Jacob. And it means that when we look at something as sweet as Jacob falling in love, which we will look at today, and I think it, I think it's fair to say that Jacob fell in love. What love was back then? We'll ask those questions today. Today, we'll have a little bit of just a, um, a meditation on love and love in the, in the Torah and, and what our sages thought of it and what the Torah seems to be saying. We'll do that, but it all... It all feels particularly complicated and um, st and and strange in the in the in the figure of of Jacob. I even when it comes to falling in love, there's something about Jacob's energy that just you know um, uh, feels a little a little off, a little strange, a little frenetic. And um, and so we're going to try and take account of these early moments of Jacob's of. Uh, 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 first love, and and try to try to ask the question as we move forward: What kind of love was this, and uh, what was driving Jacob? And um, is it true love? Is it a noble love? Uh, how do we make sense of Jacob's um, intense love for Rachel? Okay, so we'll do that. Uh, we'll do that today. All right, let's say a blessing. Um, okay, just blessing over our, our Torah study. And, uh, you know, Torah as a, Torah as a, as a, as a mode of, of asking all the deep questions, but, but, uh, but as a mode of investigating love today. Okay. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu v'mitzvotah v'tzivanu, la'asok v'divrei Torah. All right. So let's begin. Um, now we begin, uh, this is, we're gonna be in chapter 29 uh, uh, of Genesis this, this whole time. And um, chapter 29 is the, is, the, is the chapter, there's, a, there's a, the beginning of this week's Parsha, just so we're keeping track is Jacob's ladder. That's in chapter 28. And Jacob's ladder is, is a, 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 an epic mythic scene unto itself. And we could we could uh, uh, spend our time just analyzing that. Um, but then chapter twenty nine comes. Jacob has the the dream um, at the ladder, and then feels inspired, reassured, communicates to God in that dream, and then is ready to keep going. And he goes, and uh, he arrives uh, in his uncle's um, region, Padanaram, and he when he arrives. He arrives at a well, and that's, as many of you uh, know, that's a significant 
setting. We've already seen wells before in significant moments. Hagar speaks to an angel by a well and Isaac digs a lot of wells, but, um, but with, um, um, with, uh, and we, and we saw, and this is the most significant, we saw that um, uh, Abraham's servant found Rebecca at a well. So there's already a precedent for a well being a place where you might find the one, and that will happen to Moses as well. Okay. Um, but this is, so this is one of three big um, love at the well scenes. And, um, but this one, I want to spend some time just just reading this this carefully this first uh, this uh, first uh, part of Jacob's um, love story here at the well because it is almost absurdly um, uh, complex in its uh, wordplay and and language play and you know if you've studied with us before that I. I, I, I have a great interest in um, the wordplay of the Torah, and not just because I think it's fun to see the Torah playing around with um, repeating words and parallel words and similar words, but because I think that is one of the primary ways that the Torah as a piece of literature communicates to us. That is, the text of the Torah is famously skeletal and terse and um and we think of it even as as only saying as much as it absolutely has to and communicating everything in the world all wisdom with just these limited set of words and so one of our interpretive assumptions is that the way that the torah with its with its limited words communicates more than just um, just the, the plain text of the story is by hinting to us, by suggesting connections, and we are meant to find those connections, make them, and make meaning of them. That's the way we learn Torah. So um, that's a that's a method which we should be um, practicing and familiar with as we study Torah. But there are certain scenes that that take it, that seem to take it uh, all the way. This 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 kind of um biblical wordplay and um you know for example the snake was um was arum mikol the the snake was clever was shrewder than all of the animals of the garden and then adam and eve were arumim they were naked and it's the same word for shrewd and for naked so when the torah does something like that just like in the same scene uses a word in two different ways you know you can feel that the Torah is 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 playing around, is asking us to play around with language, and um and so it's cert there are certain scenes where there's so much wordplay that it's like the Torah is asking us to pause and try to like to 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 become a little dizzy and then to try and gain our balance again. And this first scene with um, Jacob and Rachel at the well is one of those moments where the language is almost too intricate; it's hard to keep track of. So let's let's take a look here. Um, okay, here's the source sheet for today. Okay, so Jacob is there at the well, and he speaks to um, the the local sh the local shepherds at the well who are there significantly to water to to get water for their sheep, 
and they're waiting because they all need to arrive because there's a huge rock on top of the well that keeps it closed and they all need to be there they tell Jacob to roll the rock off the well because the rock is very big that'll be a significant detail but that's what they're talking about when all of a sudden Rachel comes along so let's take a look here um here we are so while he was still speaking to them Rachel came with her father's flock for she was its shepherd Kiroahi she was the shepherd or the shepherdess right you know she was and I like I, I want to just I want to just lean into that that a little bit because it's it's significant like she the the woman we haven't seen a um a woman shepherd yet although they may have existed all along we haven't had someone named as uh, a worker a, sh a shepherd right so Rebecca was was like um a person of of responsibility and duty and is tending to the to the flock just as all of these other men are doing okay and when Jacob saw Rachel now she just walked in he's never met her before when Jacob saw Rachel the daughter of his uncle Levan and the flock of his uncle Levan so he sees her and he sees the the sheep so when he sees both things, and it's a little funny already, like he sees both of those things, what does it matter? But he sees her and he sees the flock. So he went up and in a moment of, you know, alpha male inspiration, he goes and he rolls the stone off of the mouth of the well, okay? This stone, which supposedly you needed a whole village to move, Jacob seemingly inspired by Rachel and wanting to impress her, goes and and superhumanly rolls the stone off by himself and then does her a favor he waters the flock of his uncle Levan. okay so it's a very heroic grand gesture she walks up before he's ever said a word he takes one look at her and he's you know superman and rolls the thing off and then provides her with water like tada look at what i've done they haven't they haven't said anything yet okay and now all right this is already a, a grand gesture and now in case you doubted that it was all for Rachel and that he has that he has is it love at first sight I mean what is it that that he has seen that is so impressed him but um take a look now at where we go because things get really strange really quickly and this this next line is the one that I if we spend all our time on one line today it'll be this line here so he um he went up and rolled the stone off of the mouth of the well and watered the flock of his uncle Levan. And then Jacob kissed Rachel. You got that right. Jacob kissed Rachel out of nowhere. He's never said a word to her before. And he kissed her. Now, I don't, I don't think the Bible is as um uh sanua, as as modest as um some formulations of religious uh modesty uh like I, I actually think the bible can be a little bit wilder than even later jewish formulations of the virtue of modesty but it's it's the bible is not explicit in its dealings with intimacy right it's usually an illusion and just a hint towards intimacy the idea that jacob in public boldly just smooches this this young maiden who's walked along is already shocking and bizarre but if that weren't shocking enough 
Take a look at the end of the verse. Jacob kissed Rachel and then he broke into tears and broke into tears. So we're going to have to try and figure out what exactly is going on here. Because this is the moment, if there is a moment, where Jacob falls in love. I don't know. Is that what we're going to call it? I'm not sure. But he kissed Rachel and he broke into tears. There's a lot of emotion coursing through him one way or another. And um, then Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebecca's son. And she ran and told her father. And on hearing the news of her sister's son, Jacob, Levan, this is his uncle, Levan, ran to greet him. And he embraced him and kissed him. I'm just bolding that because it's interesting. There's another kiss immediately. So like, you know, as we're looking at wordplay, we'll take account of that and took him into his house. And he told all Levan all that happened. And Levan said to him, and this is also a kind of surprising flourish, you are truly my bone and flesh. Okay. So a lovely encounter. A lovely encounter first with Rachel. And now it seems like he's being brought, brought right into the family. Okay. Let's just, before we open it up and try and figure out amongst amongst the group what exactly is going on here how we can read Jacob's behavior let's take note of the of what I said at the outset all of the the strange wordplay that we see here in this story there's there's a lot going on and I can't say that I I have totally unraveled it I don't uh, I'll be curious to see what you do with this because it's as I said dizzying but let's just start with Rachel coming along with the flock. Rachel coming in with the sheep, okay? Now, what does Rachel mean? The name Rachel, okay? I'm, I'm just asking you, some of you know. Um, the name Ooh. Rachel, oh, is someone speaking up, it means? Uh, like a female sheep, you? Good, 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 Marianne, exactly right. A, a, a U, right? We don't usually say that word. E-W-E. A sheep. A, a Rachel is like a little lamb, a female sheep, right? And so there, that's already kind of like strange. Rachel, the sheep, right? She's named like little lamb, which is, you know, it's a cute name. Um, she came with her father's flock. So the little lamb comes with the, with the other sheep, but she isn't, she's a sheep, but she's not a sheep. She's the shepherd. Okay, she's with the sheep and she is a sheep, but she's not a sheep. She's the shepherd. So that already is like, that's already, there's a lot going on there. And um, and how do we know that Rachel means sheep? Well, actually the first usage of the word Rachel uh, is in the name, but the, the other use of the word Rachel comes just later in the Parsha. Um, when Jacob says these 20 years I've spent in your service, your, your ewes, your sheep, rechalecha, there's that word, same name, and, and she goats never miscarried, nor did I feast on rams for your flock. He's talking to his father-in-law here, and he's saying, I kept good care of your sheep and your goats. So it's like, it's not like we have to, to go far afield to make the connection that Rachel, the name, means lamb, sheep, you, you, <laughs> okay? So that's already strange. And let me make it even stranger because there's talk about wordplay. There's a very strange thing that happens here where the verb for watering the flock, 
let's let's see if we can find it like in the Hebrew here. Here, well, as we do sometimes, if you click into Safari, this is a good tool, and um, and he watered the flock. Okay, so you can click on a word in Safari, and you'll get the dictionary definition. So to um, give, drink, irrigate, drink water, and cause to drink water. Okay, and the root is this root right here, shin kufhe, right? Now, just look though at the word for then Jacob kissed Rachel, vayishak, and you can just see, just visually, whether you know Hebrew or not, it's the same word. Different vowels, these little marks underneath are the vowels, so different vowels, but visually, it's the same word, but it does come from a different root. So if I, this is nashak. Again, shaka, to drink, to give water. Nashak, to put together or to kiss. Okay? So Jacob comes on, the, Rachel comes along, she and her sheep, she is the sheep, she is the shepherdess. And Jacob waters the sheep and then kisses Rachel, but it's the same visual verb there. Right, and this is this is the line where he he kisses her and then starts starts crying. So, the Torah there, one line after another, is using the exact same lettering to have Jacob responding to the sheep with water, responding to the woman with a with a strange kiss. And remember that when they started coming, the Torah was very explicit to say that Jacob saw Rachel, and it's almost like the language here is almost doubled. It's not just that he saw Rachel and the sheep. It says he, he saw Rachel, the daughter of his uncle Levan, and the flock of his daughter, of, of his uncle Levan. Okay. So let's just, let's just stop there for a second and try to like, let's just like let the dust settle a little bit here because I feel confused. Like what does Jacob love sheep also? <laughs> like what's, what's going on? In fact, my friend said, um, my friend said, he was waiting his whole life. Um, he's a big laner, reads from the Torah. And he's like, I'm waiting my whole life for someone to make the mistake. And I finally I finally went to shul one, one year in Parsha Vayetze, um, where someone makes the, say, the mistake and, and, and reads Vayishak at that zone and he kissed the sheep, um, Vayashk uh, uh, Yaakov Rachel, and he watered Rachel, right? Like that's, that was the funny joke that he'd been waiting for his whole life. And so finally, someone you know, read the vowels the opposite way, but they're, they're there almost begging to be read in the opposite way. So let's just start to think about what does it mean that, I mean, it, we can't stay here the whole hour because it's just like, you know, sheep, Rachel, kissing, water. like there's, like I said, there's something almost absurd about it. But before we move any further, let's try to make sense of this, like what's going on in Jacob's mind? What are we meant to see in, through Jacob's eyes as the sheep and Rachel are coming in, he responds and responds and responds in somewhat visually similar ways. Okay, let's start with Emily. So in the in the part just before this this scene, he he gets to the well and he's talking with the other shepherds there and asking them about Laban, and they say, "Oh, he'll you know his flock will be along soon or something." So they're all like waiting for. Laban's flock before they can get water. So it, it seems like Jacob knows who's coming, but he doesn't know if he's going to like what he sees or if it's going to be big enough to be worth going after. So it just seems like he, here comes his flock, here comes this beautiful girl that probably looks like his own mother. He recognizes her right away. And it's like, yeah, 
this is this is a family worth joining and getting into and he's overwhelmed with joy that he's found like this perfect you know family that's okay. what i see in it emily does gives us a very very good um strong reading um by uh reminding us of a of a verse that that i didn't show us and, and emily's exactly right it, i started us off here let's take a look um uh, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came for her father's flock, as if that were the first mention of Rachel. But Emily's exactly right. They had already mentioned Rachel. Do you know Lavan, the son of Nahor? And he's, and they said, yes, we do. Um, Hashalom, though, is he well? And they said, yes, he is. And there is his daughter, Rachel, coming with the flock. So Emily's exactly right. They've already mentioned, oh, um, yes, we know Lavan. Your mission is to find Lavan. And not only was his mission to find Lavan, but... Um, one of the things that his uh, father said, and his uh, as as uh, as Isaac sent Jacob away, is that he's being sent out there, just like um, just like in the earlier generation, to find a wife out there among the family of Levan. So he's already got it in his mind that he's fleeing from his brother, but he's also looking for uh, a mate. Remember, Esau's already been married twice, three times actually, by the time last. He has three wives by the time the last part is uh, over. And Jacob's the same age and is unmarried. Okay. So Jacob, one way to read the story is Jacob is um, he's an, an aging bachelor, right? An alterbacher. And, uh, and so I think Emily's right to imagine that he's looking for Levan. He imagines that, you know, this could be a good situation. He wants to find a wife here. He hears, oh, he has got a daughter and she's coming, but he doesn't know this woman and what her, and then she shows up and I don't know, she's gorgeous. She's impressive. She's, she's a shepherd in her own right. She's, you know, he shows up and it's like, ah, this is going to, I was worried. I was excited. And now I feel like all of my dreams will be fulfilled. So maybe that's part of what's happening here. Okay. Um, uh, Noah. This portion is always interesting, reading over and over the initial encounters between Levon, Rachel, Leah, and Jacob. And now I'm thinking when Jacob saw her, was it like an obsessive, like I want to possess this woman and these flocks as my own, or do I want to grow with her? And and grow these flocks and the family more, it, and it, and just the shepherd imagery that it's always used for the leaders of Israel that from this woman leaders might be born because that imagery is there. Okay. Okay. Good. Now Noah's uh, tapping into something. Um, that we that because of who Jacob is, we really have to we have to consider, which is that Jacob Jacob is, seems to be falling in love here, or some version of intoxication, entrancement, whatever. And and we will see the Torah mention again and again that Jacob loved Rachel. Jacob loved Rachel. That's not common language in the Torah, but Jacob loved Rachel. But it's also true that Jacob seems to have his eyes on the, on the prizes, on the, on the goods around him, on the things that he might acquire. 
And this is part of when I say Jacob is a complicated figure and we we're always a little uneasy, even, even though he's a hero, even though sometimes, even though he's a follower of God, even though his tension, his intentions sometimes um, seem noble, there's always this undercurrent of him grabbing, of him um, scheming. And it does, I think, I think that um, Noah, um, Noah's language that Jacob is like looking at all of the things around him as potential acquisitions, I think that's significant here. Let's just take a look uh, again at the story and just see how how explicit that is, right? He he sees Rachel and he sees the flock. And he it's as if, and they're both, they both belong to his uncle. Like they're both his uncle's daughter, his uncle's flock, all of these things that are coming his way that he wants. And in fact, that's what he will spend the rest of the Parsha doing is acquiring wives and uh, cattle, right? And, you know, I, I don't mean to compare them uh, exactly, but the Torah does seem to suggest there's a kind of a, you know, like there's something commodifying about Jacob's vision that he's getting, 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 getting things and that we have to be on guard, even when Jacob falls in love, for what it, what is what is the nature of that love? What is the nature of Jacob's desire when everything else he's ever desired, he's taken, okay? And Noah imagined that, no, he also sees Rachel as a worthy partner who will help him with it. And that might be true too. I don't want to paint Jacob as entirely um, uh, suspect. But there's that there's that undertone. There's that undertone. All right. Um, let's keep going. Marianka. Okay, so uh, on one hand, I have to say that Jacob bursting into tears is like the most romantic scene in the whole Torah, right? But that's just one plane. On the other plane, I'm thinking we have water here. And not only is this a repeat of the scene with uh, uh, when Eliezer comes uh, to get a wife for Isaac. Uh, but um, water means fertility, basically. Like symbolically, I think Torah maybe is trying to tell us, you know, um, there's gonna be kids here, there's gonna be growth, right? So his tears to me are part of this water, water motive, wells, water, tears. Mm -hmm. and, but also if I can add, isn't Jacob a little bit, uh, uh, similar to his uncle Laban was this uh, gimme, gimme, gimme. When Eliezer came, uh, it was Lab and uh, Laban saw all the, those goodies that Eliezer brought. He was like, oh, welcome, welcome. Bring all that good stuff to my home, right? So Jacob is, I mean, it, it is his uncle, right? Yes, just, okay, I don't good. know. No, a, that's great. Now, what, you're, what you're saying is, 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 is strange, but, but also true and another, Another thing I I've been talking about the the blurring of the image of the sheep and and Rachel, but there's another figure in that blur of 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 Jacob's first encounter, and, and that is his uncle Levan, and I think Marianka is right. Um, uh, I, uh, like Levan is is like the foil for Jacob. He's like the he's he's out Jacobing Jacob. He's more of a trickster. Right, as we'll see before we finish, he he famously tricks Jacob into marrying um, the 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 wrong wife, 
right? So he outdoes Jacob and there's a way in which Jacob's getting his due. But um, it's also true that in this first scene, there's, it's, it's, uh, Jacob is almost strangely wrapped up, not just in um, Rachel, but in Levan. Everything's like his, his uncle Levan, his uncle Levan, and then um, he watered the flock of his uncle Levan. Why is it not Rachel's flock? And he kissed Rachel. And then as I pointed out before, then the next kiss we see is Levan kissed him and Levan brought him into his house, right? And then Levan said to him, you are truly my bone and flesh. Where do we know that language from? It's a, it's a pretty explicit allusion. And that is to the Garden of Eden when Adam... Um, encountering Eve for the first time says, this one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. It's like a, it's like a, a poem that Adam writes to Eve. And Levan is like echoing that, which on the one hand is just like, we're family, we're family, you know? And it also, I think, you know, Jacob's just met the love of his life. Adam, it's like Adam and Eve kind of vibes, but it's Levan speaking it out. And a lot of Jacob's um, romantic or intimate life will be, uh, as we know, negotiated through Levan, his two daughters, the maid um, servants that he assigns to his two daughters. He sw switches the, there's this weird way in which Jacob is negotiating with Levan for his work, but also for his, his, his love life. So that's very, very strange here and, and worth noting. Um, Marianka also says, and I want to now I want to take some time and just um, look a little bit into this romantic moment. That this is one of the most romantic moments in the Torah. He kisses her and he starts crying, and it's strange. There's lots of ways to to think about that crying, but one way to think about it is that it is romantic. He's just so overcome with emotion. So I want to just um, I want to just take us a, a little bit into that those tears and to look at what some of our um, our commentators, as you know, I'm a fan of the commentaries. Um, let me, let, let me, Vera, would you put um, a link to my, here, let me, let me, let me, uh, once again, I'll do it, I'll do it. I think I have it here. I feel like I'm supposed to use this forum to promote my new book, which is on Torah commentary. So if you like what you see here, check out my new book. I don't know how long you're supposed to just shamelessly promote yourself, but I think I'm still in the, in the honeymoon phase. So anyway, um, Torah commentary, our tradition of commentators who have done over the centuries exactly what we're doing, which is to look at a line like, and he, he kissed Rachel and he broke out into tears and to ask what's going on there. And what I want, what, what I want to, one of the things I want to show you in the commentaries this week is that there are, there are commentators who are, um, who are um, surprised and, and uneasy with Jacob's behavior. And then there are other commentators that really do see this as a moment of, of romance and love. So let's take a look at just a couple of responses from our, from our great sages to this, to this strange kiss. Okay, the first one that we will look at is um, the great Rashi, the most famous of our commentators. And Rashi says, he broke out in tears, he kissed her because he saw, he foresaw through the Holy Spirit, he had um, prophetic vision, that she would not be buried with him. Okay. So, and that's true. Rachel, Rachel dies on the side of the road tragically in, in the middle of a journey and is not buried um, along with all the, all the other um, ancestors in that cave that Abraham purchased, Marat So what, so what Rashi imagines is that Jacob kisses Rachel and immediately 
like senses some some Im, impending tragedy that even in the moment of falling in love he sees like there's there's pain ahead that i'm not, this this connection is so strong but it it will be broken and we will not lie in our final resting place together okay so that's one take and here is another take and i want today we're going to look at the sforno ovadia sforno who is um, one of the famous commentators that appears on the on the page of of Mikrot Godolot, um, one of the classics, he was um, at the end of the Middle Ages, sort of late 1400s, early 1500s. He really uh, actually um, should rightly be thought of as the first kind of Renaissance. He's not really a medieval thinker. He's more like you. He's more like a Renaissance thinker, and and he lived in Italy and studied in Rome. Um, and I think was familiar with, uh, what's the name of that? Johann Reuschlin, Reuschlin, is that the right? The, uh, he was part of like an, like the kind of elite and educated um, Roman society. And, um, and he is therefore a kind of a, a more of a Renaissance figure. Like he has a kind of a, an appreciation for, for uh, human dignity, Jews and non-Jews. And uh, not and and an appreciation for humanity in general, and so it won't be surprising maybe that the Sforno of Adia Sforno will be our great kind of romantic voice in this class. We're going to look at a few commentaries of his, and I was really struck as I studied these this chapter with him that like I, I kept looking at the commentaries, and again and again the Sforno provides us with the most romantic um, uh, interpretation. So here is here's the Sforno on the kiss. Um, he broke out in tears. Rashi said because he saw that she wouldn't be buried with him, but the Sforno says he broke out in tears because he was pained that he didn't merit uh, marrying her in his youth so that by now he would have had grown-up children with her. Okay? So, like, remember, we said he was, an, he was an aging bachelor. So, like, he kissed her, and immediately the first thing he felt was like, oh, all the years that I haven't been with you. Oh, if I'd only met you 20 years ago. Like, this is perfect. You know, so there's two very different takes on like the the tears were the tragedy that was mixed up with the the romance or the tears were like a sense of of satisfaction so great that it almost evokes the tragedy of not having it before. Right. So still tragedy, but a kind of a much more romantic tragedy. OK, so those are a couple of uh, takes on this uh, on this kiss cry moment and um and i'd like to i'd like to i'd like to hear some more what's what is going on with jacob's uncontainable emotional outburst here all right let's keep going uh down the line here matt silverstein okay this wasn't what i had to talk about but okay um, you don't you can put you can pass i can come back to you um if you can come back to me i will do that i will do that okay um jen in fact i i want to just say it's a complicated thing because I want to call on people, but then I set things up based on where we are at with the with the text. And I should say, you can always put your hand down. You can always put it back up, um, and you can always pass. There's no need to 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 make a comment if it's not relevant to the moment. It's it's a tricky thing we're trying to do here on Zoom. So I appreciate the 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 the, the graciousness, the humility that it takes to say not right now. Great, 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 great. I really appreciate this this. Uh, kind of a parallel or alternate um, read of Jacob because I think, you know, I said there's a tension at the outset where on the one hand, Jacob is 
our the founder of our our peoplehood and then on the other hand like it's so easy to read him as a as a taker as a schemer as a trickster as a as 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 someone with a streak of something corrupt and uh it's easy to get kind of to dig into that because that's that's a fascinating line of inquiry but it is important to remember that that tension remains and it's also possible to read jacob as alexander's reading jacob as someone who is just trying to survive trying to survive in very um tense and you'll see jacob just sort of just trying to keep everything together jacob does keep a whole family together which you know is pretty complicated there's four wives involved and is more than abraham and isaac could say their families break apart and jacob is for for all of his rough edges he is he's committed to God and he's committed to the covenant. He's committed to, he isn't, you know, the, 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 the covenant doesn't just continue through him. It manifests into its full form through him. And one way to read Jacob, and I'm sort of building on what Alexander said is that Jacob, yes, it appears he's doing all of these deceptive things, but he's got a higher mission. And part of that mission is to survive, but part of that mission is to keep us all alive. And in order to do that, he had to trick Esau. And in order to do that, he has to find a place to stay and he has to marry these women. He's like, what do you do when someone makes you marry a woman that uh, you didn't intend to marry? Well, he just works for another seven years and marries the next woman. Like he's, there's something um, tenacious about him. And it is um, there. The, it is perhaps for the sake of, a, of a, greater, a greater good. And we can read Jacob sympathetically in that way. Okay. So I, I very much appreciate. Let's keep that in mind as well. We don't need to necessarily um, uh, uh, be so suspicious of Jacob. We're down now here at the last ten minutes, and we've spent most of our time on this first moment of encounter, which is great. But uh, I do want to. Alexander was um, was reminding us of some of the 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 upcoming drama, and I want to take a look at some of that that Jacob working and working and working. And then, of course, the famous, like, you know, working for only to be deceived at the end. But it's in these next two passages that we get. So far, it didn't say that Jacob loved Rachel, but it, the Torah does very quickly say that Jacob loved Rachel. And it's not the first time, like, love has been mentioned in the Torah. Isaac also was said to love Rebecca, but Jacob gets three mentions of love. So it's like really hammering the point home. And um, and it, it that love seems to be shaping his behavior. So let's take a look now at um, what happens next. You are truly my bone and my flesh. So come on in, you can stay with me. And the next line is, when he had st it stayed with him a month's time, Levan said to Jacob, just because you're my brother, should you serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Mama skuratecha. What, what shall your wages be? Now, I, you know, this I'm borrowing again from Noah's comments. There's something like acquiring uh, about Jacob that Alexander was pushing back against. But here, let's let's turn back to it to to wonder whether now he, what should your wages be? And and his response is Levan had two daughters. The name of the older one was Leah, and the name of the younger one was Rachel. Leah had soft eyes, which we're not sure exactly what that means. And Rachel was a strikingly beautiful figure. Right? Beautiful of form and beautiful of vision. She was a strikingly beautiful figure. And Jacob loved Rachel. Okay, there it says it explicitly. 
But his answer is, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, I don't know if that's strange or not. Maybe it's not strange. Like, what do you want to get paid? I'll get paid in your daughter. Like, it would sound strange today, but maybe that is the common arrangement. I don't want to over-scandalize it, but it's a little bit of a strange first mention of his love. Oh, he loved her so much that he was willing to accept her as his payment. You know, I, I don't want to be too cynical about that, but it's just a strange phrasing. And it becomes more strange when Levan's response is, yeah, better I give her to you than I give her to an outsider. Stay with me. Like, really? That's the, well, this is not a bad deal. Let's just do this. Okay. And so Jacob serves seven years for Rachel. Um, here's another romantic phrase. And they seem to him, but a few days because of his love for her, right? Time, time moved quickly because of his love for her. And so there he loved her and time moved quickly and he was willing to work again. By the way, just uh, as we've been following our commentaries here, take a look at these. Um, Rashi points out that the few days um, that, it, that it seemed like time moved quickly for him, that that same phrase um, Rebecca used when she said, stay with Lavan a few days. And then they seem to him a few days, same language there. And I think what Rashi's saying is he sensed that Rachel was the fulfillment of his mother's vision for what he should be doing there. So it was a kind of an echo. Okay, we'll, we'll leave that one aside. It's a little intricate, but it's a playing with language there. I want you to see these two, though. This is the Orachayim, a later uh, Moroccan uh, commentator from the, um, from the 1800s. Uh, and, oh, sorry, I think 1700s. And then um, the Orachayim says, Jacob loved Rachel, not because of her beauty, but because she, Rachel, was the life partner destined for him, right? That's why it mentioned that he loved Rachel. We already know what her name is, but no, he loved Rachel, all of Rachel, right? He loved who she was, and so he was willing. It wasn't just a, a, a beauty thing. So that's interesting. And then here's the Sforno again, saying another kind of beautifully romantic thing. He, he was, it seemed like his, um, it was just a few days because of his love for her. And the Sforno says, um, because of his love for her, here's a quotable. Because love breaks the natural order. Okay. So there's like, there's, there's more love, more romance but it's it's strange it's sort of it, it's still just in that as in that first scene it's all mixed up with work and responsibilities and service and trial right so jacob's working and he's negotiating and he's being jacob but in the midst of that he is having like a a romantic a, a deeply kind of romantic experience so um we're almost out of time, so I just want to read one last thing, and then we'll and then we'll take some final comments, um, which is that we we're not going to have time to to look at the scene, which is the most famous scene, which is that uh, that scene where he gets married, and then there at night, Levan tricks him and slips the older sister into the room, and he ends up with the you know uh, uh, um, um, he ends up consummating the marriage with Leah and getting married to Leah. And then he says, he wakes up the next morning and says, what's going on here? And Levan says to him, well, that's just not the way we do it here. This is a very, like we could have spent all our time on this because it's a very 
you know, the, the one who is deceived gets deceived. It's a classic scene. But I just want um, to look at it for one second because there's another strange phrase in here, which is that at the end of all that, he agrees to marry Rachel again. And so Levan, uh, Jacob did so. He waited out the bridal week of the one, and then he gave him the daughter, him, his daughter Rachel, his wife. Levan had given his maidservant Bilha to his daughter Rachel as her maid, and Jacob cohabited with Rachel also. Indeed, here's the last mention of Jacob's love. Indeed, he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served him another seven years. And that's the last, you know, and maybe obvious thing that I want to insert into this complicated love scene, which is that he loves Rachel, and he is obviously... Um, He's fallen for her. But in the midst of all that, you know, he's also marrying her sister and, you know, is willing to stay married to her sister. But then, like, he continues to affirm his, his love, his greater love for Rachel than for Leah. And this is, you know, on the one hand, well, isn't that romantic? He knows who he loves. But on the other hand, it creates all kinds of um, his 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 love life with Rachel immediately becomes something um, explosive and tense and competitive. And, um, you know, he'll spend the rest of his time with both of them negotiating which one feels more loved, which one um, is more attended to, which one does he privilege, which whose children does he privilege more? Everything just starts to break down as things get more and more complicated. And yet, even in the midst of all that, he loves her. He loves her, he loves her, he loves her, he loves her the most of all. And this hurts Leah, and I think it hurts us to read how Leah becomes the hated one, but it's part of the complicated picture of Jacob's um, enduring love. Tor is very clear that he continues to love Rachel despite all of the chaos and conflict that it brings with his father-in-law, with um, Leia with uh, all of the, the 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 other women involved and then eventually all of the other children involved. So that's sort of where we end um, chapter 29 is with Jacob loving, uh, loving Rachel. Um, and that's a great thing. But even in that last mention of love, there's a kind of bitter twist to it. He loved her, but he loved her more than her sister. So his love caused pain and his love continues to be this very complex and, and, and somewhat inscrutable thing. All right, let's take the last two comments and then we'll close. I, I, we, I'm, I've taken too much of your time and, and so I should sign off. I just wanted to see one last thing just very quickly, because as I said, I was so struck by not just Jacob's love, which is so powerful and explicit here, but it, but but especially by the Sforno's treatment of it. And again and again, the Sforno humanizes, and this is exactly what Matt was saying, gives a real human um, nuance to Jacob's love for, this almost feels like a modern comment, this last comment, and I just want to show it to you before we close. It's just worth knowing that it's out there. Jacob loved Rachel, also loved Rachel, and the Sforno is not dealing with the like, Oh, he loved her more than Rach, than Leah. Oh, there's com competition. He just says this. He also, what's the also? He also loved Rachel, not just because she was his wife, but because she was Rachel. Right? Because she was Rachel, because of her distinct personality and of her deeds, which reflected this personality. 
You know, we wonder sometimes, was there really love in the ancient world? Did they have the same notions of romance and intimacy? My but, question. Right? <laughs> so, um, yeah. so, so it's a good question, but at least in the reading of this form, and I think in the reading of a, a lot of our eyes, there's something about this connection that whatever else you want to say about Jacob and whatever else you want to say about the complicated story, there's just some kind of powerful force of love there. Like it was Rachel. It was about Rachel. It was, it was because of Rachel that he was, that he was willing to work, that he was willing to fight through, that he was, that he, that he was willing to give of himself in this way. Okay. Um, speaking of love, I'm going to a wedding next week and I will not be here next week. So no class next week. We'll skip class next week. I'll send out an announcement. I'll see you all in two weeks. I wish you a good Shabbos. Good Shabbos. Bye. Thank you. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Good Shabbos, Rabbi. Thank you. Take care, all. Okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class, some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and, and join our, our circle of, of Torah geeks, you can find us, uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And, uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that that uh, we keep our classes, you can, if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archive classes and source sheets and everything we discussed there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and uh, And in the meantime, I will talk to you next week.